0: So, we're going to talk about God's expression in the earth, his, his fight for his expression in the earth. How many of you guys here are, let's just say, I'll use the word jealous. How many of you here are jealous about your reputation? Um, you don't want any, raise your hand. You don't want anybody saying anything that sullies your reputation. That speaks bad about who you are. Matter of fact, if you find out somebody says something about you that you know is not true, it kind of gets your blood boiling, right, right, right. And so, I, I want you to understand this morning that that God's word, I think it's in Psalms 22, uh, says that a good name is to be desired more than riches, right? And and a good name is so important to God from the beginning of God's word where he broke in on the scene, right? And his spirit hovered over the face of the earth to the end of the Bible in Revelations when Christ comes again. God is fighting for his expression, a true expression, a pure expression of him in the earth. And it, it it is so important to him that that expression be pure that expression be honest that expression represents him that he's jealous about it so much so that even in the old testament god would 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 send enemies into his people's camps into jerusalem and he would destroy that which he allowed his people to put up to erect in his name if that which they were doing didn't properly represent God. And he told tell them, he said, if you guys sin against me, if you go out and you start doing what I've told you not to do, then what you're doing is you're put, you're, you're putting out a poor representation of me in the earth. And it, my reputation is so important to me, I won't allow that to continue. And I will wipe it out and we'll start all over again. All right? And, and, and so I want you to understand, just as it is important to you that your reputation be pure, right? And that you will fight for your reputation, that God will fight for his reputation. He'll, he'll do everything in his power to make sure, from the beginning to the end, it's all been about fighting for God's reputation, that God's image through the church, that we might be that light on the hill, right? That we might be that salt in the earth, that when people look upon us, they might see Christ in us pointing towards God, and that might change people's lives, their hearts, their minds, and turn them toward the Father. And so God is fighting not only that that reputation be established, but that reputation be matured and that we be a mature expression of Christ, who is the image of God
1: in the earth. Man, that's good. And um, say this with me. What I do today matters. What I do today matters. Here's why. Here's why. Because what you do today over time becomes your reputation. Listen to me. What you and I do today matters because what you and I do today over time Time becomes our reputation. And here's the second reason that matters is because your reputation will precede you everywhere you go. Y'all listen to what I'm saying? It's called your resume. It's called the referral that you ask people to give on your behalf when you apply for a job. It's called your credit score. Before you show up, what you did today has preceded you. And can I can I tell you the third reason your reputation matters? Is because it doesn't only precede you everywhere you go, it will follow you long after you've left. Mm.
0: Come on. Come on. It's quiet in here. Come on y'all. Presbyterian Church.
1: Very quiet. It matters. Cuz long after you leave, what you did today will determine how you're remembered. In fact, there is a million-dollar industry today called reputation management. If you go to reputation.com, people go to reputation.com and pay big money, big money for reputation.com to scrub the Internet of any negative press, of any negative videos, of any negative pictures. And and, and you can always tell, and, And you can always tell, when you know something used to be there and all of a sudden you can't find it. It's a multi-million dollar industry. You and I can manage, we can manage that by the decisions and choices we make today. Because over time, it becomes your reputation. It doesn't happen in a day, but it does happen daily. Are y'all with me? Look, remember what we said, everything we talk about here at City Church, the principles are transferable. So, So how you are at work, your punctuality or the lack thereof becomes your reputation. The quality of your work or the lack thereof becomes your reputation. And it becomes the box or the category by which you are defined. Reputation matters. Uh, that was just off the dome, that was good. but go ahead, yeah, that, my friend. That was, that was good. And, and,
0: and the reputation is so important that, that God has called each and every one of us into the fight, right? The fight for his reputation. And the fight is real. The battle is serious. He's gone so far to say is that if, if you're lukewarm, if I've called you into the battle and you're lukewarm, then you're no good for me. I, it's, I could, I'd rather spew you out of my mouth. Uh, you need to either be cold, which means that you're not on my side, or you need to be hot and on fire and in the battle, right? Uh, because all of this from Genesis to Revelations is about the fight for the reputation of God. For we who are Christians with the Spirit of God in us to fight, for the reputation of God, and so we we break into uh, this message this morning about fighting, um, and we start in the book of Nehemiah at the fourth chapter, uh, and and this is kind of a an expression throughout the entire scriptures from Revelations to from Genesis to Revelations about what that fight looks like, right? And so starting at the seventh verse. It says, but when Samballad and Tobiah, the Arabs, and the uh, um, Ammonites, and and the Ashdodotites, bear with me on them names, uh, uh, heard that uh, the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry, and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. And to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set up a guard as a protection against them day and night. So you also have to understand that as a function of this fight, the enemy doesn't have much that he can use to stop God's work. And so he's going to come in and stir things up and cause confusion. He's going to bring in doubt. Uh, he's going to bring in depression. He's going to, to, to bring in things that those whom uh, we've trusted in all our lives as kids growing up, he's going to bring their words back, which may not be, you know, scriptural, may not necessarily be correct, but those are things that we've learned to live by all our lives. And it is that kind of thing that we start leaning on. Uh, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness and, you know, stuff like that. You go in the Bible and you look at it and say, I, I don't know where that passage of scripture is, <laughs> but, but I know my mom used to always come into the room and say, you know what, clean up your room. Mom, my room is clean. Cleanliness is next to godliness. You need to make sure that you make your stuff, keep your stuff clean. All right? we get all kinds of things that are poured into us as we grow up that may not necessarily be scriptural, but we learn to lean on them we learn to try to use them as we go through life, right? And it is those things sometimes the enemy uses to confuse us. The Bible says the, the, uh, the, the enemy knows the word of God, right? And so he'll use the word of God to try to confuse us in the middle of the fight to keep us from succeeding, from getting to the place where we are God's expression in the earth. And so when we break into this story, what we see, is that the people of God are coming back to Jerusalem after God had destroyed the temple. He sent Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon into Jerusalem on several campaigns. The last campaign, they came in about uh, 586 B.C., and they destroyed the temple, tore it completely down. And so God promised by his prophets to the children of Israel that in 70 years we would I will bring you back to Jerusalem and you will restore the temple of God. you will bring back this expression I had to I had to get rid of it because it wasn't it wasn't a pure expression of me. You guys were running around doing things you know like y'all do that don't necessarily represent me and so I had to come in, remove it and start all over again. And so I moved you into captivity, but in 70 years. You should know this. I'm going to raise up a king, Cyrus, who's going to come in and destroy and beat Nebuchadnezzar, take Babylon, and he's going to create an edict, and he's going to send you back so that you can restore Jerusalem. And so it took 22 years, 22 years for them to restore the temple, right? Took seven years the first time, but it took 22 years, but it took 22 years because The enemies of God came in and they tried to create havoc. They tried to create confusion. They tried to to stop the work of God. And they were successful. And so, iteration after iteration, the people of God would come back and they would continue the work again. And God sent them back in three waves. Right? Three. Three waves. Sent them back in three waves. The first wave was to address the temple itself. And I want you to understand this because this is really how God works with us. The first thing he wants to do is he wants to break into our lives, break into our sin, and establish a relationship with us and move into our hearts. The first thing he wants to do is restore him as the rightful God in the temples of our hearts. And so, after all this time, the first thing that God said as a part of my first way, the first thing we want to do is we want to go in and we want to lay the foundations for the temple and restore the temple so my expression is back in the earth. Before we do anything else, I want to break into your life and show you that I am God. I want to show up in your situation. I want you to get to the place where you fall on your face and say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. And I show up, and now all of a sudden, you've got a relationship with me. You see me beyond anything else. That's the first thing I want to do. And so the first thing he did in the first wave, and God loves threes. There's something about threes that God just loves. First thing he did in the first wave was restore an expression of him. And he sent sent Zerubbabel back and worked with the people of God to lay the foundation for the temple. The second thing he did was he sent Ezra back, and with Ezra, he said, now that the temple is there and you're, you've established a relationship with me, I want you to learn about me. So Ezra's going to come back and teach you my laws and establish my ways so now you understand what is the expectation that I have of you. Isn't that the way it happens, though? Once you get Jesus into your heart, once you turn from the stuff you used to do and you decide, you know what, I'm going to start falling with all my heart, all of a sudden he gives you this hunger for his word. And you don't know where it comes from, but the good thing is, is that you can never out eat what God places on his table. His table is bount- bountiful. It has no end. And so... Without regard for the degree of your hunger, how much you want to learn about God's word, there's always more. And the more you get into it, the more you realize you're just touching yeah. the surface.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah, yeah. And so that, that's what he does. He then breaks into your life. He shows himself as God. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, you start have, you have a heart for him. But you, your, your knowledge is lacking, and so now you get a hunger, and you start opening up the Scripture, and you start reading God's Word, and you start getting getting educated and start getting knowledge about what God expects of you and, and, and what God has done in the earth and how he's, how he's broken in on the lives of other people. And, and then you start getting this expectation about how God is going to break in on your life. And then you start seeking him. You start learning how to pray. You start learning how to do Bible study. Then all of a sudden, the next thing he does, the third phase or the third way, which is what we're focused on this morning, is when he sent Nehemiah. And so God has invested much in us already, right? He has called us from our sins. He has established relationship. He has sent his spirit. He has taken up residence. Know you not that you are the temple of God. All right. He has opened up his word and he has allowed his word to then begin to wash over your lives to clean you. Now what he wants to try to do, because there's much invested in what he's done, is he wants to now protect what he's done. And so he sends Nehemiah back to build the wall. The the temple has been raised. They've got the word, but now we're vulnerable. We've got to fortify the city, right? And so before we move forward, Nehemiah has to come back, and he has to work with the people of God to fortify the city. But the enemy looks at what Nehemiah is doing, and they say, Oh, no, wait a minute, we can't. We can have that once they put the walls up, then just like any fortified city, penetrating it is going to be that much more difficult.
1: No, that's huge. I hope y'all caught that progression that he just shared, right? That God comes in and the first thing he invests in is spiritual. He invests in that vertical relationship with him. The second thing that happens after we come into relationship with him is the investment of his word because the investment of his word renews our minds. It changes the way we think. The third wave is now we got to protect it. Now I got a relationship with Jesus. Now I'm growing in the word. I have to be diligent and vigilant to protect it. And here's why. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, guard your heart with all diligence. Listen, because from your heart flow all the issues of life. Most of us think that the struggles we have are external in their origin when the truth is most of the struggles we will have are internal. Hmm? Is this stuff on the inside? He, uh, the, the smartest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon said, guard your heart for out of your heart flow all the issues of life. And so he sends Nehemiah to build the walls to protect the spiritual house, the, the temple, uh, to protect the, the communication of his word. But what I find striking in verses 7 through 9, which we read, is check this out, check this out. Not everybody's going to celebrate your progress. Just in case you're wondering why it may be taking so long. When you find yourself in the middle of the will of God, opposition is inevitable. In fact, I like to say it this way, obedience to God attracts opposition. So here they are building the wall, doing exactly what God told them to do. And and, and notice what the verse says. Can you put that back on the screen, 7 through 9? Notice what it says. Notice what it says. And it talks about the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward. That's progress. They were making progress, and notice what happens next. And that the breaches, the openings in the wall were beginning to be closed, and guess what? They were angry. Can I just tell you? There are going to be people who are going to observe your progress and start tripping. Not everybody can handle your success. Not everybody can handle your progress. And in the midst of doing something that was helpful for those of you who have ever had situations in your life where you were helping somebody and you were doing good and it backfired, welcome to the family. Listen, listen, listen to what the scripture says. They were doing good, but in their doing good, it attracted opposition. And, and, and notice what I said, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. Let me tell you something right now. There are conversations happening about you right now that you have no clue about. There are people who are against your progress. And that's why I said, what we're going to talk about is the fact that you have been invited to the fight, whether you realize it or not. You are in a fight, you are in a fight. And and it's spiritual in nature. And the adversary who's after you is after the reputation of God. He is going to try to do everything within his power to make sure whatever dream God put in your heart doesn't come to pass. Because now it becomes about God's reputation. Oh yeah, God said you were going to be a successful businessman, businesswoman, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And, And what he's really after is how we perceive God and how we walk away from every adversity in life and the reputation of God. What do we believe about God after the struggle? Will you still believe that God is faithful? Will you still believe that God's word is true? And that is what the fight is about. It is about guarding and protecting the reputation of God because now these guys are saying, this wall ain't going up on our watch. I don't care what they said God told them. I don't say care what their God is doing. This wall ain't going up because this wall is about the reputation of God. And the enemy wants to bring us to a place where we begin to question the faithfulness of God. Does God really love me? Does he love me enough to heal this body? Does Yeah, is he in this thing? Did I really hear from God? Because opposition, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you about three kind of people you'll deal with? Number one are people who dismiss the dream. He said, God put this dream in my heart. And I said, man, that's just Jesse, man, whatever. And maybe some of you have encountered those kind of people. And then there are going to be people now who despise the dream. They see that there's something to the dream because they see your progress and now they despise the dream. And then the third kind is what Nehemiah is dealing with. And these are the people who are hell-bent on destroying the dream. Now, let me tell you how sometimes the the destruction comes. Notice what the verse says. They came to Jerusalem to do what? To cause confusion. One of the most potent, one of the most effective weapons of the enemy is not to beat you over the head, not to hurt your body, but just to sow a few seeds of confusion. Confusion. To make you wonder, Garden of Eden, did God really say? Isn't that what Satan said to Eve? He said, I know all the stuff you're talking about God's reputation, but are you sure? Are you really sure? And how many of you realize it's hard to build something where there's no unity? That's all I'm going to say about that. Listen to me. We could preach a very spiritual message, but what we're trying to show you is how does this flesh out in your life every day? The enemy is after the reputation of God, and he's trying to get you to quit prematurely. And the way he's doing it is not only by his resistance, but also by sowing seeds of confusion and doubt that cause you to second-guess what you know God told you. Because not everybody is going to celebrate your progress. So help me preach this. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Build a wall. Build a wall. Turn to your neighbor on the side and tell them, build a wall. Build a wall.
0: Say build a wall.
1: Build a wall. Me,
0: say build the wall.
1: Build the wall. Yeah,
0: yeah, there's much at stake. God has put much into your lives. He has invested much. Did y'all hear me? Lost it. Behind me? Which Blue, green? Turn to your neighbor again and say, build a wall. stake. God has invested much in your life. It it, it was 95 years from Zerubbabel to Nehemiah. God had spent a whole lot of time rebuilding the temple, establishing his word, washing them with the word, building them up, maturing them, growing them, and he knew all of this was at stake. If Jerusalem was still not impenetrable, if, if all of a sudden, for some reason, doubt slipped in, if confusion became rampant, if people started talking and backbiting, if, if folks started doubting what they know God told them to do and what they know God is doing in their lives, if all of a sudden, the enemy broke in through the breaches, not not, not through the main entrance, but through the small places, through the little that you trust. If the enemy snuck in and began to confuse the people of God, all of God's work, everything that he put in would be at stake. And so he told the people, I'm sending Nehemiah back to help you build the wall. Get you to the point where you
1: say, well, it doesn't matter what folks say, right? I know God told me. Did you just do a snap? I, I was wondering if I saw that right. Hold up. He, he snapped that? That's what you did? I wasn't sure. Speak to the
0: hand. (laughs) hand. He's got to get you to the point where that's where you are when it it comes to the things of God. Because I'm telling you, God will speak. He will show up. He will break into your life. That's that's why David had to encourage himself in the Lord, right? Because the enemy, circumstances, situations, people, friends, family, sometimes family. Family is, sometimes they will say stuff. Yeah. and make you like wait well, wait a minute did that really yeah
1: yeah happen that way? yeah was yeah. was
0: that really mm. the lord sometimes right. I'm try to convince you that that you had a mental breakdown
1: yeah right? yeah
0: and, and it talk really you out wasn't, of it wasn't real right yeah. and and so you have to make sure that you stand on what the god what the word of god told you what god told you what what you received from the lord by the spirit of god You've got to make sure that you guard that thing with all your heart. And sometimes it's best not to even tell somebody. Come on. Right. You can't tell everybody everything. Can't do it. Yeah, yeah you got to recognize you have to have discernment and know who you can share things with who will go into their prayer closet and pray with you. And then those who, if you tell them, all of a sudden it's going to get out and it's going to be several shades from what you. What you
1: share. My, 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 so, So, so um, uh, you've got a couple of clips that you selected yes. from Braveheart. We're going to talk about how to fight. Um, but here's why I love Braveheart. Check this out, check this out, check this out. Here's why I love Braveheart. Uh, uh, uh. I, I think Braveheart is the most romantic movie ever made. I heard a pfft from one of the ladies. No, let me prove my theory, though. Let me prove my theory, though. William Wallace shows up after an extensive time away traveling with his uncle who adopted him after his father was mercilessly killed. Y'all remember that. As a young boy, he leaves with his uncle. Doesn't show up until he's much older and now an adult. He doesn't just show up as an adult, but he is a warrior poet. He's a skilled swordsman who speaks multiple languages namely French and Latin. When he shows up in Scotland, the English have occupied Scotland and the English are practicing something called prima nocte, which means first night. That means if you're Scottish and you're getting married, an English lord has the right to take your wife on your wedding night before you. And so one of the opening scenes is that they're getting married, right? You remember they're getting married, the guy and the girl getting married, and they invite William Wallace, and he and his buddy, uh, Little John, they're throwing rocks and doing all this crazy stuff, and this English lord shows up, and they take his, this new bride away. Not William Wallace's bride, but they take this new bride away. Now, William Wallace has had this childhood sweetheart named Martin the little girl who came and put the flower on his dad when he's buried. No more than nine years old. William Wallace is now an adult, but he keeps that little flower and takes it everywhere with him. The most romantic movie ever. Y'all saw all the blood and gore, but y'all missed all of that. Right? That William Wallace was, 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 was loving on this little girl, loving her from the time he was little, and that she loved William. And gave him this little flower that he kept through adolescence and into adulthood. So check this out. When this thing happens at this wedding, all of the men say, we've got to go to war. And William Wallace is like, this ain't my fight. I came back here to farm my father's land. I came to live in peace. Listen to me. The war that we're engaged in is coming to your door whether you want to fight or not. Reluctant or not, the fight is coming to your door. The fight for the reputation of God is coming to your door. So he's reluctant. So guess what he does? uh, Modern. what does he do? He doesn't have a public wedding. Because he knows that prima nocta is still in effect. Y'all remember the movie? I know it's, it's 1995, it's 24 years, been 24 years. It is the most romantic movie ever. So he takes her away at night into the meadow. And they bring the, the, the vicar and he, he officiates their wedding. And the next morning they go into the village and one of the soldiers starts getting fresh with her, brings her to one of the cottages and, and she takes the stone and, and hits him in the head and he's bleeding. And uh, William Wallace puts her on a horse, she takes off and they catch her. He tells her, meet me at the meadow, because he steals a horse, puts her on a horse, she takes off, she gets caught, he goes to the meadow, no, he runs to the meadow, she's not there. When he comes back to the village, they've got his new wife tied to a stake, and he's standing up there, and I don't mean to be graphic or gory, but they slice her neck.